Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. We're going to keep this super brief because we are going to be joined momentarily by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is stopping by the show this week to discuss the launch today, the launch literally today of his brand new book, The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. So look, as listeners of this show know, I moved to the state of Florida about a year and a half ago. I actually think it was this past weekend that was my exact one and a half year anniversary of moving to this state. I bounced around quite a bit in my life and I am happy as a clam here, so to speak. I, I just I really could not enjoy this state more. Not just the weather, which is exceptional, not just the famously 0% state income tax rate, which is also exceptional, but What we have seen in Florida happen over the past few years, which has been discussed at great length on this show, is a genuine transformation of the nation's third largest state from a purple state to a red state. This is a state that was decided by 500 to 600 votes in the 2000 presidential election, and it was decided by 19.5% in the gubernatorial election this past November, where even Miami-Dade County swung to the right. There was a lot of great stuff happening here on the ground in Florida, and Our leaders in Florida, Governor DeSantis, has actually in many ways, I think, tangibly made Florida citizens' lives better when it comes to the COVID fight in particular. And there's just so much good stuff to unpack here about what is actually happening in this state. But we really don't want to waste any more of your time before we bring on Governor DeSantis. So without further ado, we're going to take it to a very quick commercial break here. But we're going to bring on Florida Governor Ron DeSantis right after the break. Stay with us. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So what an honor to be joined today by the probably most discussed person in the not so long history of the Josh Hammer show. That, of course, is Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. So, Governor, what a thrill. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Thanks for having me. 
So today is the launch, as the case may be, of your new book, The Courage to be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. So, Governor, I think you are probably best known across the country, if I had to just take a guess here, for probably fighting COVID fascism, the biomedical security state, and of course, the fight against wokeism, the fight against the Walt Disney Company and critical race theory comes to mind. But the book is about not necessarily just specific issues, but painting a broader picture of the Florida model of governance, so to speak. So why don't you elaborate on that for the audience? Well, one of the things I, I talk about is kind of a theme of the book that, that I come into office having won by 32,000 votes. I'm 40 years old, third largest state in the country. And the advice for most people is basically trim your sales. You had a very close election. Uh, it's not going to be possible to necessarily make a lot of waves and be successful. And, and I rejected that advice because my view is I may have won 50 percent of the vote, but I won 100 percent of the executive power. And I was going to use that to be able to advance what I thought were the best interests of the state of Florida and to make good on the agenda that I had promised. So we went from the very beginning. Uh, I was very keenly aware and I compiled all the information I could about the different constitutional and statutory pressure points that the governor possessed, what I needed the legislature for, what could I do with local government. Uh, we also said we're not doing polls. We're going to lead and we're going to convince people that what we're doing is fruitful. So I never took a poll the whole time I was governor. And then finally, we said we're going to be on offense on all these different issues. That is really ends up being a good defense, too, because a lot of Republicans are more likely to just kind of sit back. Media attacks them. Media defines the terms of the debate. It puts them in a bad posture. So we were constantly out there making things happen and really defining the terms of the debate. We did not shirk from issues. I mean, I think people that know Florida prior to me becoming governor, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a well-run state. There were a lot of good things, but it was basically a, a more of a chamber of commerce agenda, you know, making sure that you're doing things, uh, for, for, for corporations and to make it a good place for business. You know, a lot of those policies were sound, but I I think we leaned in across the board, whether it's education, yes, fighting the wokeness, illegal immigration, all those different things. And I think that's one of the reasons why we took a state that had been a one point state for the previous decade. And then we turned that into a nearly 20 point victory, winning by one point five million votes, super majorities in the legislatures, taking school boards, all this stuff up and down the line. The, the character of Florida, political character, has changed. Uh, we've been really able to, to rewrite the map here. And the Democratic Party in this state is basically a, a dead, rotten carcass on the side of the road. So it really just can't be overstated, just the transformation of what is now the nation's third largest state. I mean, I remember, so I was in sixth grade during the 2000 presidential election, during the whole hanging Chad fiasco. But as you said, you know, your 2018 victory over Andrew Gillum was 0.4 percentage points, if I, if I remember the exact margin correctly there. I mean, this yeah. is just a, a, you cannot possibly describe just the transformation that has happened to your folks like me and so many others are, are, are just flocking in. And when you look at the demographics in particular, I mean, winning Miami-Dade County back, the Cuban vote, the Venezuelan vote, you know, single women even kind of flocking to your side. What is it exactly? I mean, do you think that people just want to vote for sanity over insanity? Is it basically that simple? Well, I think that's part of it. I think that we've shown a knack, I think, for identifying the left when they're totally off their rocker 
uh, isolating those examples and really protecting Floridians from the left's worst, worst pathologies. And people don't have to be Republicans to appreciate that. I also think that they saw me as somebody that was a strong leader and somebody that they can trust. And I think even people that, that didn't vote for me will say, you know, if he says he's going to do something, he is going to do it. I mean, that's just the way the guy's wired. And so I think people appreciate that because they can trust what you say and trust what you're going to do. And even if they don't agree with you all the time, you know, they still respect that. Uh, And then I think just during COVID, it was a situation where what we were doing was so different from what the established narrative said we were supposed to do that I was like the guy that was fighting for these people. There just there weren't a lot of voices out there. Obviously, I'm fighting Fauci and those types of people fighting the corporate press. But even some of our local governments in, in Florida, you know, they didn't want the kids in school or they didn't want the, the, the businesses open. So we did that. And I think we just had an impact on people's lives because they looked to me and said, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for you. My business would have failed if it wasn't for you. My kids wouldn't have been in school if it wasn't for you. So there was a, a variety of factors. And then just overall, you know, we produced results across the board. I mean, I, I went into the election of 2022 uh, with the biggest budget surplus in the history of the state of Florida and with the state that was ranked uh, number one for economic freedom, number one for education freedom, and was the fastest growing state in America. So people saw that energy. We do now in Florida, I think, have a little bit of a mojo, uh, this idea of you know, don't tread on Florida, the idea that we're the free state of Florida. I was born and raised here, Josh, and it was it was great. I mean, I liked it. But we did not have the energy that we have now. And like people like you have moved. I mean, people have viewed Florida uh, as a refuge. And I think it's made the state much more interesting, much more dynamic. And I think it gives us a foundation to have a really good run. And we've had an amazing run. And I only hope and expect that that run is going to continue. And, you know, there's so many mantras that kind of come to mind about what you have achieved here in Florida and where Florida currently stands. I mean, it's where woke goes to die. You know, freedom lives here in Florida. But one of the most interesting things about your time as governor and kind of the Florida model of governance, so to speak, if I can extrapolate just a bit, is that I view you as a figure who is protecting Floridians, not just from governmental power. And to be clear, that is a big part of it but also from overweening corporate power and corporate tyranny. I'm thinking here about your moves, Florida's kind of approach to the vaccine mandates, of course, your famous fight with the Walt Disney Company. So I'm wondering if you, if you could just elaborate on that a little bit when it comes to kind of protecting vulnerable citizens from power run amok, both from the government and from also other spheres of life. Well, I think, you know, I mean, for decades, conservatives' perspective was basically, you know, our core function is to limit government and to provide space for the private sector to operate, civil society and all that. And that was really the best way to protect freedom. And, you know, there was a lot to be said for that for a long time. I think the issue now, though, is, is yes, you have to deal with government and we deal with it aggressively. Uh, we fight Biden at the feds. I deal with local governments and reining them in. And so government clearly uh, is a threat to your freedoms, particularly the, the administrative state in the, in the federal government. But We now have a situation where you have an ideology that's captured a lot of these private institutions uh, and they're governing themselves in ways that basically are exercising quasi public power. So, for example, if you have these Wall Street banks adopting these ESG standards, you're in the firearms industry for, say, um, let's say, 
They may just not give you a loan. They may cut you off from the financial uh, sector. So you're right, big tech censorship. I know a lot of we, we've dealt with that and are pending in front of the Supreme Court. Uh, the, where the public square is, people's businesses, their, their political speech is tied to these platforms, and yet they can marginalize you based on a conservative viewpoint. So I think when we say uh, Florida is the free state of Florida, what we believe we have to do is protect people from the pathologies of the left in all these different institutions. You should be able to live your life the way you want to in Florida without having the left's agenda crammed down your throat. Yes, that's not going to happen in the state legislature, for example, because we have super majorities now, uh, but it may happen by big tech. It may happen by some of the corporate uh, America. And so we work to protect you from that. One area of overweening leftism that I think you have made a focal point of your time as governor and the policies that you implement and seek to be implemented through the legislature is education. So I'm wondering if you could tell us about kind of the Florida blueprint for parental rights in particular, which, at least from my perspective, seems to be a huge winning issue for Republicans and conservatives, if if only they would fight on this issue. And you have fought on this issue in school board races, and you've been very successful on that. So how do you see that issue being a blueprint for possible nationalization? Well, I think I think everyone would agree who's not blinded by ideology that the schools have become very partisan. I think the school unions view it as the way to advance a partisan agenda. You know, I graduated public school in Florida in the in the 90s. I didn't really have political agenda imposed upon me. I mean, I just took the courses. Now you have more of this stuff. And I think a lot of parents have woken up to it. So we led the country. We did a parent's bill of rights, which just cemented in Florida law, the fundamental role that parents have in the upbringing and education of their children. We passed the curriculum transparency bill. So some of the, the this book ban hoax where the media is trying to say Florida, you know, doesn't want the kids to have books. I mean, what we said was the parents have a right to know what is being taught in school, what curriculums being used and what books are in the library. So for example, now we have parents that can see they have a fifth grader maybe go to the library and there may be pornographic books there. Well, I don't think any parents think that that's appropriate for those. And so now they have a right to raise that with the school district um, and those uh, books can uh, be removed from the, the these younger grades in particular where it's not appropriate. And then of course, parents' rights in education was basically saying, we're not going to let this stuff about gender ideology, the sexuality um, into the schools, particularly in the young ages. But, you know, the way the, the bill was written actually said it had to be age appropriate across the board. And uh, the legislature is going to address some of that in this coming session. But things like gender ideology, I don't think it's ever appropriate for a teacher to tell any student that you were born in the wrong body or that you should change your gender. So these are ways to empower the parents to be able to have a seat at the table. And I'll tell you, uh, electing these school board members has had made a huge, huge difference because they came in in November, they started firing some of the superintendents, they're making major waves, and we're gonna do more of this in 2024. But I think what's happened is we've now awakened to, okay, these public schools, our school districts were basically hijacked by school unions, and that's not the appropriate thing. And so now we're fighting back. And what you find is Miami-Dade County, for example, they have a majority conservative school district and the biggest and the biggest urban county in Florida, 2.8 million people. They're passing reforms 
to deal with some of the indoctrination that are even better than some of the stuff we did last legislative session. And so there's a lot of optimism, I think, because I think a lot of people really get this, but it is a full spectrum approach. It's not just one piece of legislation as much as the Disney thing got a lot of play. Uh, there are other parental rights uh, provisions that we've enacted during my tenure and then working with the school board, because at the end of the day, in a state as big as Florida, if the state government has to play whack-a-mole on every single thing with the schools, eventually you're just not going to be able uh, to keep up with that. And so when you have school boards who share these principles and are supporting the parents' rights and the students, they can get a lot done. So I think we've been able to do more in these last four years than anyone thought possible. But I think going forward in the next few years with all the members we've elected and will elect in 24, uh, I think we're going to be the model for the country. Well, fingers certainly crossed over here for that. But, you know, when I think about your fights when it comes to education, when it comes to critical race theory, gender ideology, all of that, I mean, when I have personally kind of done public debates on this issue and I get accused of being an authoritarian, you know, book banner or whatever here, you know, my response is, do you support kind of a, an absolutist First Amendment right where you are mandated to teach Holocaust denial? And, you know, that hypothetical tends to get people kind of looking askance and they're like, oh, no, of course you're right. And the conclusion here is that you fundamentally have to choose. So, you know, my mother, who retired in New York State last year, she was a public school teacher for decades. She had to choose. She had to make curricular decisions. And extrapolating a bit and kind of just looking at your tenure of governor and kind of the, the Florida blueprint, I see you intuitively understanding the idea that you have to choose, that governance is about making choice between sanity and insanity, between freedom or fauchism really in all areas of life. Is that kind of a, a an appropriate kind of summation of kind of the Florida blueprint, do you think, this idea of having to choose and having to side? So these are public institutions, okay, not just K through 12, but also our universities. They're funded by the taxpayers of Florida. Uh, it's not the same thing. You as a private citizen want to go out and do critical race theory. That is 100% First Amendment speech. Government can't abridge that. Knock yourself out. You know, not my cup of tea, and I don't think most people find it persuasive, but of course you can go do that. But when you're talking about what you're doing in the schools, you know, there's a mission that these schools are trying to accomplish, and the state really sets that mission our view is that education should be done in, in the classical sense of how it's supposed to be. It is nonpartisan. It is not value neutral. I mean, we are certainly saying that we want people to learn about the facts of the Holocaust. And if you teach Holocaust denial, you will be fired as a teacher because we're making those judgments. You don't have a First Amendment right to hijack a taxpayer funded government institution and impose your private agenda on the rest of the people. So, Governor, one one issue that, you know, I think you know that I, I am personally quite passionate about is, uh, is is just the horrific kind of opioid epidemic and just the drug overdoses with fentanyl that are, are just tearing this country apart. And the obvious remedy for this, of course, is securing the southern border. And, you know, although Florida is not technically, technically a border state when it comes to the Mexican border, the same way that Texas or Arizona is, you know, you've obviously made immigration enforcement a, a, a huge part of your tenure here as governor as well. In a way that previous governors of Florida, I think it would be fair to say, did not necessarily do so. So uh, why do you think Republicans are, are, are so tepid, I guess, uh, generally speaking, when it comes to having to fight on the border issue? And I, I assume that you hope that the Florida blueprint, of course, would be trying to inspire others to follow your lead on that particular issue. When I became governor, I think the conventional wisdom was Florida Republicans 
need Hispanic votes to, to get elected statewide so that therefore you can't do serious immigration enforcement and, and fight illegal immigration. And, and I rejected that. So my first year as governor, we banned sanctuary cities. I mean, 2019, this should have been done like 10 years ago, right? But they didn't want to go there. So I did that. And in every single time the media or university would put out a poll, the Hispanics in Florida supported me on sanctuary city ban more than any other demographic. And so it was, uh, I think, flawed political analysis to think that somehow uh, those folks, at least in Florida, somehow wanted open borders. We did the uh, we, we sent the illegals to Martha's Vineyard. And a number of those came from Venezuela and the media tried to say, oh, this is going to sink DeSantis for reelection, all this other stuff. Well, if you look at where most Venezuelans are in Doral area of Miami-Dade, it was like blood red for my election. I mean, they were thanking me for for taking action because people realize that this problem um, has uh, has gotten out of control. And there's a lot of people that are come that are first generation or second generation that resent the government from allowing this situation to happen. And they also resent people coming illegally because they didn't. So we've been strong across the board on it. I think that it's a no-brainer politically for Republicans because I think pretty much working-class people of all different ethnicities uh, agree with this. It seems to be some of like the, the big corporate types who just want cheap labor and then the, the lefties who are more globalists and so they don't believe we even have a right to enforce our sovereignty. But, but it's been a winning issue for us. But more importantly, it's, it's been better for the state to do this. It's much better for the state, and it's just such an issue when you, when you look out there what is happening at the U.S.-Mexico border. I mean, it's an issue just just begging for Republicans to seize the mantle on, but you've been pretty good at seizing the mantle on any number of issues during your tenure as governor, and you have a brand new book out this week to discuss it. It is, again, The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. I know that I am personally deeply excited to go out and get a copy myself. So, Governor Ron DeSantis of the free state of Florida, thank you so much again for joining us this week, and all the best with the book tour. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. So thanks again to Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida for joining us this week. His brand new book, of course, again, is called The Courage to Be Free, Florida's Blueprint for America's Revival. I mean, there's a lot to unpack in that conversation. One obvious place to start is the question that I asked the governor towards the end here, this idea of having to choose. This is something that we have discussed on this show time and time again. It's something that I have written and spoken about at great length. 
The idea here is that at this point, at least at this point, possibly just in general, but at a bare minimum at this point, given the left's capture of all the institutions that matter, whether it is the bureaucracy, whether it is uh, higher education, whether Silicon Valley, Fortune 500, you name it, given their effective completion of their long Gramscian march through the institutions at this point, laying on your hands and trying to appeal to so-called neutrality or values neutrality, kind of this approach to political economy that is just let the chips fall where they may, it is woefully insufficient for the times that we live in. To use a popular leitmotif of this show, it is indicative of not knowing what time it is. And one of the many things that I find so appealing about the Florida model of governance, the Florida blueprints, whatever kind of precise phraseology you want to use it, is that I think Florida knows what time it is when it comes to this particular approach to governance. So I think back to when Governor DeSantis and Florida banned private sector vaccine mandates. And you had a lot of kind of chambers of commerce friendly kind of older school Republicans basically saying, oh, how could you infringe on private businesses? You know, let every business decide for itself. Let, uh, you know, Bob with his carpentry company or Sam with his cruise ship company or whatever. I mean, I mean, I said the cruise ship stuff because I remember the Carnival Cruise got into a, got into a big squabble down here, if I remember correctly. The point here, and this is what Governor DeSantis understands, is that the threat nowadays in the year 2023 is definitely from government sometimes. Of course it is. You would have to be naive as hell to not think that government overreach, overweening governments, stupid red tape, bureaucracy, blah, blah, is not a big threat. Of course it is. And, you know, as, as just one possible indication of that fairly obvious point, I think in the 2016 presidential election, something like 95 percent of administrative state employees in the federal government in Washington, D.C., voted for Hillary Clinton. I, I don't remember the exact percentage, but it was right around 95 percent. So I am not saying that overwinning government is not a problem. But here's the point here. The point is, and, and I feel like I've actually heard Governor DeSantis say it somewhat like this. When Ronald Reagan famously said that the scariest words in the English language were, quote, I am from the government and I am here to help. He was speaking to a certain time. He was coming out of the Jimmy Carter years. He was coming out of stagflation. He was coming out of spending run amok, massive inflation, a lot of kind of regulatory remnants from the FDR New Deal framework from decades ago. And at the time, you know, a supply side approach to economics focused on slashing and taxing and deregulation and, and so forth there made a great deal of sense. I mean, when the highest personal income tax rate is 50 percent or higher, then, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that that tax cuts are, are probably the number one public policy area to focus on. And again, a lot of those issues still apply today. But if I had to summarize what the biggest threat facing America in the year 2023 is, I wouldn't necessarily say that the number one biggest issue, I wouldn't describe it as big government overreach. The number one threat facing America in the year 2023 is the metastasis of this woke ideology, of this pernicious idea from Ibram X. Kendi to Nicole Hannah-Jones to 1619 Project Critical Race Theory to transgenderism to biological men playing in women's sports to this, you know, we, we have an intersectional obligation to open the border to let in every person illegally from Honduras or El Salvador, Nicaragua, whatever. 
everywhere you look, this is what is currently tearing the country apart. It is destroying institutions and it is destroying, at least as the case of the transgender issue, many real people's lives, many real people's lives. And the imperative of the hour, the way for an elected official to understand and ultimately implement and execute a vision to understanding what time it is, is to put that into action and to actually wield power when need be to protect civilians, to protect citizens, to protect the vulnerable above all else from the woke ideology. When it comes to the vulnerable, I'll just give you another Florida example here. So Florida has been one of the red states, probably one of the leading red states that has actually revoked the liquor licenses from restaurants or bars that are engaging in in drag queen story hours for minors that are exposing minor children to drag queens. There was a teacher in Florida fairly recently. There was this horrific video that went viral on TikTok of of this elementary school teacher just bragging about the fact that she took down the United States of America flag and put up kind of the the rainbow flag. Or I guess it's kind of it's like the half rainbow, half transgender flag. I guess that's kind of the new thing these days. So her in her video, she was talking about how she took down the U.S. flag and instead of making her students pledge allegiance to the American flag, she was making them pledge allegiance to this rainbow transgender flag. And you know, as the case may be, that teacher was actually fired here in Florida, not terribly far after that video was discovered. And this is the point. The point here is using power to protect citizens and vulnerable citizens, in particular children, those who cannot speak for themselves and act for themselves from the metastasis, the spread and the excesses of this deeply pernicious and toxic woke ideology that if we don't nip it in the bud, will ultimately destroy us. That above all else, that above all else is, in my mind, the Florida model of governance. And there is really no better politician in America who I think intuitively understands that and tries to act upon that than Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who, again, has a new book out this week. Go ahead and check it out. But that's going to do it for us this week. We hope you enjoyed this special edition interview with the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I'm Josh Hammer, and I will see you next time. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts. One, two. Three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.